Welcome to episode 65 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like 100 brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order. So you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous and they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. 
I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every Every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 65 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? How was your 4th of July? You know what? It was really low-key. <laughs> we didn't do a lot and it was fabulous. I guess, you know, I've just been on that cruise and so I was just worn out and so I didn't feel like 
doing a bunch of celebrating. We just stayed around the house. We went on a late night ice cream run with me and my husband and my son. So that was pretty much it. Did you see any fireworks? You know, just a little around the neighborhood. Like at one point we walked outside and somebody was shooting some off and we looked at those and that was it. You know, it's it's a lot to get out in all that traffic. I sound yeah. like an old lady now. Get off my lawn. <laughs> get off my lawn. I <laughs> no, I feel that way too. <laughs> so how about you? What did you do for the fourth? I just worked on various projects. Yeah, which... me too. That's really what I did. I've got some deadlines I'm working on. So yeah, lots of work. Did you see fireworks? I heard some. Yeah. I didn't see any. <laughs> and I had taken a day off like a day off prior and kind of done nothing. Right. So I was in my head, I was like, okay, that was my 4th of July holiday. There you go. <laughs> That's the thing about working from home. It's right. like, I have to like set a schedule. And um, so I was like, I already took my holiday. There anyway. you go. Yeah, that's true. I did just finish reading, or I did just finish an audiobook that I really liked. Ooh, what was it? Well, I can't really say the whole title, but <laughs> it's, the subtle art of not giving a oh yeah uh huh I've seen that one an f bomb yeah it's so wonderful is I, it? it's the it is actually the first audiobook first of all the narrator is fantastic I think it's the best audiobook narrator I've ever listened to of course you don't you're not an audiobook fan right <laughs> well no just because <laughs> I'm not a good audio learner I don't learn that way unless I'm driving then I can listen. But other than that, I just my brain is is doing too many things. Yeah. So, well, the the narrator is hysterical. He's amazing, and I liked listening to it because I've been listening to so many things about, and I, which I really believe in, but things about positivity and about you know just positive mindsets and that sort of thing. And this is kind of this is more of like a Buddhist mentality in a right. way of just like accepting things. And it was really really fascinating. They talked about one study where they have participants come in and the participants are told that there's some but there are some buttons and the participants are told if they push the buttons in a certain way that a light will come on, but they don't know the certain way. So they have to figure it out. So all the participants are like trying all these different patterns of trying to push the buttons to make the light come on. And so sometimes the light comes on. Sometimes it doesn't. So they try all these crazy things. It's so funny when he narrates it. It just sounds really comedic. But um, he says that the participants all come up with these like crazy routines that they re- that they are positive is what's making the light come on. He he talks about how like one girl re- thinks if she like spins around and, like taps the <laughs> ceiling a certain amount of times, like the light will come on. And, like just all these crazy things. And they all leave the experiment thinking that they quote solved it. When really it's completely random, and the which was just fascinating to me. And he said, like the point of it is that our brain looks for um, patterns, looks for patterns, yeah. and makes connections that are most of the time not even true. <laughs> but and it doesn't like to forget them. And the the way that the reason I found it so pertinent for me personally is that with like when it comes to food, I often. I'm looking for patterns about how certain foods make me feel. And I get so convinced for this, especially for people who struggle with like IBS or GI issues or things like that. I get so convinced in my mind, like, oh, this food is making me feel like this or this 
eating this combination of food or doing this, this thing or this thing is making me feel like this when really it could be a lot of things. <laughs> it could be like your mindset. It could be something else going on. It could be stress. It really could be anything. So I, I just found it really enlightening about just living in the moment and not fearing the future and just trying to make healthy choices and going from there because it's really hard to know. Yeah. What's... Har- hard to make that connection. Yeah. So I really liked it. It's also the first audiobook I actually cried at the end Aww. while he was reading it. Why did you cry? Because you were sad it was over or was it the message? No, the message at the end was just so beautiful. I'm not, I'm not even going to spoil it okay. but um <laughs> well now i've got to got to read the book the, and the narrator's so funny but at the end it's just like this beautiful oh it was amazing oh that sounds good i'll put a link to it on the um on our website so if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 65 i'll put a link to that book i've been telling my mom all about it but she doesn't like it because she doesn't like the title <laughs> so, that's funny she's like i won't read it but you can tell me what you learned from it <laughs> Thanks, mom. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. Although she said, they just went to Europe and she said that, that it's everywhere there, but they spell it out there because it's your first words in different languages. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah that is true. Matter. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. All right. Well, thanks for the recommendation. Are we ready to start our... Yes. So we do get a lot of questions about supplements and things like that. And I've recently started taking an entire actually line of supplements that I'm really becoming a huge fan of because they are sort of like real food rather than supplements. The Ancestral Supplements line, and basically what they do is they have a ton of supplements made from grass-fed cows in New Zealand, and the supplements have no additives, no preservatives, they're basically perfect and it's all the different organs. So I know people often hear about taking like organ meat for health, but people don't really want to eat <laughs> like liver and things like that. Um, so they have like grass-fed liver, they have a grass-fed organ complex, they have like thymus, kidney, heart. They, they literally have every single part of the cattle, <laughs> of the cow in a, a supplemental form. So you don't have to eat all the crazy things. And I'm becoming increasingly obsessed with them. So I sent them an email and told them how obsessed I was becoming of them and that um, that I really liked their supplements. And I thought that they would be great to recommend to our listeners because they are, they're whole, they're basically, they're like food in a way rather than, you know, up straight up. Right, right. And so they are actually going to partner with us and so for listeners, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 65 or ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, I'll have a link there for the ancestral supplements. If you click on that link and then if you use the code IFAST, you will get 15% off of your order, which is super awesome. So we're super grateful for that. And then in addition, we're going to do a giveaway with them. Yay, giveaway. <laughs> on Instagram. I love giveaways. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're so fun. They're really fun. They really I are. I want to do it for like, I basically want to find everything that I really like and be like, can we do a giveaway? I love with you that guys? though. Um, yeah. It's fun. It is fun. So if you go to our Instagram account, which is IF Podcast, we're going to have a picture there of the ancestral supplements, which, like I said, are amazing. 
If you comment on that picture, your favorite intermittent fasting benefit, you will be entered into a drawing and the winner is going to win. They have one of their supplements is an, an organ complex. So it includes multiple different organs <laughs> in one pill. So um, it's their most popular supplement. So definitely check out that Instagram account and comment your favorite benefit and hopefully you can win. And if not, I, like I said, I completely recommend their products. On the reason, one, of, one of the other reasons I purchased it, purchased it originally was on Amazon. They have like all, all their reviews are five stars and everybody just loves them. And so they're really amazing. And we did actually get a question about them. It's funny, I guess. Because I hadn't mentioned them on the podcast before, but I'd put them on the website as something I liked. So I guess that's how this listener right. knew about them because we hadn't talked about them, right? <laughs> uh, so we got a question from Megan. I love it because it looks like Megan, but then it says like vegan, although I am not a vegan. <laughs> so Megan says she has a question about the ancestral supplements and she says, from what I know of both of you, I am thinking it is Melanie <laughs> that takes these supplements. Megan, you're right on. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie, what ancestral supplement products do you take? What has been your experience with their products? Do you take them during your eating window or while fasted? Could you take them in a fasted state or would they break the fast? So originally I had ordered the grass-fed kidney because if you go to their website or Amazon, it says what different like health conditions and things that they can potentially benefit. So I originally did the kidney because it said that it was, well, benefits the kidney, but that it was high in B12 and that it was high in DAO, which is the enzyme that breaks down histamine. And I was like, oh, that sounds fine. I need that. <laughs> and then it's also supportive of the thyroid. So I was like, oh, this is, this is just me, me in a bottle. I tried that first and I really, really love it. And um, I also tried, actually, that's a lie. That's the second one I tried. The first one I tried was the beef, the, um, the grass-fed pancreas because that was for digestion. And so that included pancreatic enzymes. And I found that taking that really, really helped my digestion, um, really supported that. Then I tried the kidney, like I said, then I was just hooked. So I was like, I want to dry all of them. <laughs> so I got the, the thymus, which said it was good for inflammation and allergies. I got their adrenal cortex complex, although I'm kind of on the fence about when to take that. And I'll talk about that in a minute. I got their thyroid one because I would sort of like to get thyroid support from natural whole foods. And I do consider this a food in a way. Like I said, then I also got the brain because apparently it benefits the brain. And the funny thing is, I know that sounds like a lot, but they have about 10 more, which is crazy. So I've had nothing but good experiences with them. A lot of them also have grass-fed, a little bit of liver in them as well. So you can get that in there and that's super nourishing. And I'm on the fence. So Jen, what do you think about taking them during the fast? Because they are like food, like I said. Yeah. See, that that's the tricky thing about supplements. And we just don't have, you know, data exactly. You know, nobody did a study of let's see what happens when someone is fasting and takes this supplement, right? So a lot of what we what we say has to be a hunch or a guess or based on is your body going to think this is food? And supplements are just tricky all altogether, you know, because some things work better when you take them on an empty stomach and some things work better when you have them with food. And they're just 
there's no like one answer that would apply to everything. So as a rule of thumb, of course, we like to suggest that if it's food-like, then keep it in your window, right? Yeah, and in a way, this, it's not even – it literally is food right. in a way, you know? I mean, it's a small amount. I don't really know. What's what's your body going to think it is? How's your body going to respond? That There's just so many things happening in your body, it, it's hard to say. I tend to err on the side of being cautious, as probably most people know, when it comes to what I have during the fast. You know, I would possibly consider um, – you know, a compromise, like maybe take it one hour before your window opens, you know, and then if it is, quote, breaking the fast, it's it's an hour. It's not going to ruin all your, your your fasting. So that that's just something to, to keep in mind. Some of them are recommended to take with food. The, the problem is, that's why I'm wondering, like with the adrenal one, I don't want it to be too stimulating, yeah. especially since I eat at night. So, but yeah, I have been taking them, um, I've been rotating them and then taking them with food. Yeah, if they say so. take with food, that's an easy answer to, you know, to have it in your window. But if it says take on an empty stomach, that's when you have to think about it. And, you know, there are some things that it's so important to take that you take them and you don't worry, is this going to break my fast? Like a medication your doctor has prescribed or something, a supplement your doctor said you must take first thing in the morning. Those things you take and you don't even question, you know, the fast. But if it's something you have a choice about, that's when you have to really – Think about it and do the best you can. Exactly. All right. So just to recap, listeners, definitely check out our Instagram account. Uh, comment your favorite intermittent fasting benefit, and maybe you will win that organ complex. Or at the very least, go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 65 or ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. And click on the link there for ancestral supplements and use the code IFAST. You can get 15% off. Fabulous. Hi, friends. Now, I know most of you are familiar with the power of protein to help us to recompose our bodies, get fitter and leaner by losing body fat and protecting and gaining muscle or lean body mass. Now, protein supplementation is one of the best ways to do it. It is scientifically validated to help us produce high quality weight loss. Now, when it comes to weight loss, traditionally, a lot of people will do high carb, low calorie diets, and those have been shown to generate upwards of 40 percent lean body mass loss. Now, protecting your lean body mass and your muscle is crucial when you are wanting to lose some fat because during weight loss, you don't want the weight lost to be coming from your muscle. The more muscle you're able to retain, the more you're retaining metabolically active tissue, which is going to keep your metabolic rate much higher and help you maintain the fat loss after you have achieved it. Now, one of the best ways, as I said, to do this is through using protein shakes. I've been on the lookout for years to find a high quality protein supplement that does not have fillers, dyes, artificial sweeteners, and using cheap protein concentrate, which can cause all kinds of issues like bloating and indigestion. I finally created a protein supplement that meets my standards, and it's something that I personally use every single day, and that is Tone Protein. Tone Protein not only is extremely clean and high quality with only whey protein isolate, no concentrates, no fillers, it is also scientifically formulated to 
optimize muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you build lean body mass and muscle in the most efficient way possible. I am so incredibly excited about Tone Protein. Not only is it extremely high quality and optimized to help you recompose your body. It is also absolutely delicious. We've been having so much fun with all the different flavors that we are creating, and I just can't wait for you all to try it. Now, I wanted to create a special launch discount for all of you listeners so that you could check it out, try it out, see how you like it, and test it out for yourself. In order to receive that launch discount, you can head over to toneprotein.com and sign up with your name and email address, and you'll receive an email to double opt in to the list, and you'll be the first to know when Tone Protein is available to order, and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. It is going to be the biggest discount that we ever offer on Tone Protein. So I really want all of you to be able to receive it. So be sure to go to toneprotein.com, sign up with your name and email, and you'll be double opted in to that list. And I am so excited for you all to try it out. Let me know what you think of it and let it help you to optimize your body recomposition goals, get that fat loss and maintain and protect your lean body mass while doing it. All right. So we have some listener feedback from Becca and the subject is tea tree toothpicks. And Becca says, hi guys, I was listening to the podcast with Ori about parsley chewing and I couldn't remember if either of you had talked about tea tree toothpicks. I heard about them on the Naturally Nourished podcast with Allie Miller. Highly, highly recommended. I use them both before and after my window. They are great for satisfying the oral fixation slash boredom part of not eating. And they also help freshen breath, which I know has come up on the podcast a few times since gum is out. Just thought I would pass along and keep up the awesome work. So I'm assuming this is just a, you know, got tea tree oil on it and no sweetener. So it would probably be in the gray area like peppermint. So you could try it and see, um, you know, if your body could handle it during the fast or not. It, I don't think tea tree oil is sweet. It's not. It's really potent. Yeah. Like, strong. I don't know that I would like it, but it would definitely would change your it's breath. medicinal. Yeah, that's why. I think that that's that's kind of the opinion I have of it as well. I'm going to try it. Are you? Yeah. I try really hard, even with the, the, you know, the peppermint oil, I try really hard not to use anything just because my mouth is bored because I think that's kind of the point is learning how to be at peace with not constantly having the flavor of something in your mouth. So, you know, if, if I would encourage people to not try to find a flavor to have in your mouth all the time, just mouth flavor. Oh, yeah. I, I just like things for like the stimulating right. effect, like the peppermint and things like that yeah. and the breath freshening. Yeah. But if I had to talk to somebody face to face, that was when I would, I would definitely <laughs> <laughs> try something for that. Alrighty, we have another feedback email. This one comes from Melinda. Melinda says, Hi ladies, I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now and I just love it. Fasting can be such a bro subject at times that it's so refreshing to listen to two very intelligent, well-read women speak on a subject that they obviously know a lot about. I love the science and how you both seem to constantly be referencing medical papers and the like. I was listening to an episode from a few weeks back where Jen was talking about having Starbucks cards that she doesn't use anymore, and I wanted to let you know about my favorite fasting treat 
that you can actually buy at Starbucks. They do this amazing nitro draft cold brew. It's free of sugar and milk. It's just black coffee that has been given the nitro treatment. What do you left what you are left with is coffee that has this amazing creamy mouth feel. It feels like you are having a decadent coffee, but you aren't. It's just black coffee. So ladies, save those Starbucks cards and go try some nitro cold brew. You can thank me later. I did not know about this. Did you know about this, Jen? I did. Yeah, of course. You know, we talk about coffee every every minute in the Facebook groups. People love to talk about coffee and how can we have the coffee and cold brew coffee. And nitro coffee is something that has come up. And um, it's like made with, with nitrogen. And so it just adds foam. It doesn't add any any calories, it doesn't add any sweetener, it doesn't add any additives other than just the foamy, you know, whatever the nitro is in there. So it should be safe for fasting. Um, I've not tried it at Starbucks, but I did try it when I was in San Diego, and I didn't like it. It might just be, I didn't like it at that place. So that's something to keep in mind. I'll have to, if I see it at a Starbucks, I would be willing to try it again, just because, you know, sometimes things are good one place and not at another. Would you believe, speaking of coffee, I haven't had coffee in, like, I haven't had coffee or wine in, like, 10 days, maybe? That's so, that's so unusual. because yeah, I'm seeing this new doctor who does all these crazy things, <laughs> like, super crazy. She's amazing. She's, like, Western medicine meets modern technological advancement. I'm just, I'm obsessed. Wow. But in any case, one of the first things she did was a, um, an LDI, so, like, an a, a home, it was homeopathic, but it's where they use muscle testing yeah. to de- to determine you know reactions to things, and then it's supposed to desensitize or retrain your immune system to not react to lots of things. And I I had to take it for three days, and I couldn't have any caffeine or alcohol. So since then, I was like, I'm just going to keep on this train, awesome. just see what happens. Yeah, how do you feel? Feeling good? I don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah. yeah. I definitely think I'm like reaching a interesting, like more stable state. But I think in the end, when I get into more of like a routine of things, I, I do like having my coffee and wine. Yeah. So. I mean, because, you know, your book, What When, would not be as good. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've so, written a book called What When. What When. <laughs> we, need, what we need the when. wine. Yeah. <laughs> So it's definitely going to be coming back. I was, I was, I wonder if they can do the the nitro for decaf though. I oh might yeah, decaf I'm coffee. sure they could. I'm sure. Oh, I would definitely start with decaf if you haven't been having caffeine for a while. I would definitely do that. But I would really like to try it. I don't think they have it at all the Starbucks. So I don't think I've ever seen it at a Starbucks yet. I just may not have looked. As I mentioned, I'm no longer hardly going to Starbucks, so that could be why. But yeah, I would like to try it there, and then I could see once and for all, do I like this? But I know people rave about it. I just see, I'm one of those people, I don't even like iced coffee or cold coffee or any of that. I like hot coffee. Oh, see, see I love, I loved iced coffee. I don't. I, I've tried. I don't like it at all. It just, coffee is something that's supposed to be hot. I don't care if it's 100 degrees. I would like, I would like some hot coffee. How much coffee do you drink a day? Well, I make a pot in the morning and I just drink it. I never drink coffee afternoon. So, okay. yeah, it's probably... I probably have 36 ounces of coffee in the morning. That would be my and guess. Here I am, and here I am 
thinking I'll have insomnia if I have a t- like a tablespoon. <laughs> well, remember my 23 and Me results said that I would be one of those people that would more likely use a lot of caffeine. And also, like I said, I have that ADHD brain that I think the caffeine soothes. Mm-hmm. So speaking of, we have a question about that. Awesome. In a little bit. We do. <laughs> Shall we get to the questions? Yes. All right. Now we've got a long email from Olivia and we've got lots of questions and we're going to go through these one by one. And actually the one about ADHD is coming up. So Olivia says her subject is culmination of questions after IF podcast binge. And that is the kind of binging that does not break your fast, Olivia. So keep keep <laughs> up with it, right? That's so funny. <laughs> All right. She says, hi, Mel and Jen. I'm so happy to finally be able to write to you. I gathered questions over the course of binge listening to your podcast over the past three weeks and waited until I finished listening to ask those that remained unanswered. It's going to be lengthy, so hold tight. I'd be grateful to have any or all responded to. I'm 22 years old and recently graduated college, over the course of which I gained roughly 15 unnecessary pounds. I'm 5'7 slash 8 and at my highest weight, 155 pounds. And after doing a month of BBG with Kayla, okay, I don't know what that is, but she did something called BBG with someone named Kayla whose last name I cannot cannot pronounce. It might be, it seems, I'm not sure. Anyway. After doing a month of that, I switched to intermittent fasting. Here I am two months after committing to lose weight, and I'm 142 pounds. I hope to see the numbers continue to decrease to 130, 135 range before changing to maintenance. Right now, my window is usually five to six hours, which I open from four to six and eat one meal, as well as snacking around on veggies, nuts, fruits, and health drinks. I'm vegan until I go to sleep. Here's my question. I am working as well as studying daily, and I take extended-release Vivance on a daily basis. I usually take it five days a week, and on those days, intermittent fasting is ridiculously easy because ADHD stimulants completely omit all appetite. I have huge rushes of energy around four and work out at five, either brisk walk, run, yoga, or strength training two times a week. I switch it up daily, but the problem is when I finish... I'm usually still not hungry and may not eat my one meal until around 9. At this point, I smoke marijuana to stimulate the hunger because I still feel weird from the Vivance. But the marijuana makes it so that I cannot really intuitively eat because my brain is sending my stomach the wrong signals. So I just eat the whole meal, which is vegan and healthy, but sometimes high fat, and then maybe have a mushroom hot cocoa before bed. I highly recommend. It's 20 calories and loaded with insane reishi nutrients. Question number one, I'm just wondering if the Vivance slash weed affects intermittent fasting and thought it could be fun for you two to talk about drugs a little on the show. Legal, of course, I'm in Colorado, especially because weed is becoming increasingly legalized and okay to talk about, and many people are prescribed ADHD medication, but no one talks about it because of mental health stigmas. And going on from that, we have another question that fits in here from Judith also about cannabis and intermittent fasting. And she said, I live in a state where cannabis is legal. Is there anything that will prohibit the results of IF if I smoke cannabis? It does not cause me extra hunger, and I only partake while fasting. All right, Melanie, I am so interested to hear how you tackle this. (laughs) What do you think? You are a California girl right now, after all. (laughs) I am. (laughs) All right. So thank you, Judith. 
Judith and Olivia for your questions. So I did do some research on marijuana, cannabis, all the things, and fasting, and it was very, very interesting what I found. So I basically found that cannabis and marijuana and the studies that they've done seems to be pretty good for insulin sensitivity and weight. For example, one study looked at 4,657 adults, and they found that even though marijuana was associated with eating a lot more (laughs) and increased calorie intake, that those who smoked with increased intake, they actually had lower body mass indexes overall and lower prevalence of diabetes compared to those who didn't smoke. It also talked about how when they would administer just straight up cannabis to obese rats, that it was also associated with uh, weight reduction, although it did increase the weight of the pancreata, which they said implied beta cell protection. So that, I mean, that goes along with uh, the insulin, protecting the insulin production. Apparently, 2013 was a big year for marijuana um, research because (laughs) I found one called Metabolic Effects of Chronic Cannabis Smoking also from 2013 and the conclusion see it, that's I, I kept reading different things and the conclusion seemed to almost be contradictory but the conclusion of this one from the um from the abstract says chronic cannabis smoking was associated with visceral adiposity which is like belly fat and adipose tissue insulin resistance but not with hepatic i don't know how to say this word steatosis insulin insensitivity impaired pancreatic B cell function or glucose intolerance. So it talked about like like belly fat insulin resistance, but not That's ins- weird. Yeah. So basically it led to the visceral fat, which we typically like to avoid, but right. every other parameter, like the liver processing, the insulin, the exactly. pancreas is all good. Right. That's weird. It was weird. Anyway, it just it seemed it seemed very contradictory to me. So everything I read, I couldn't come to a clear recommendation about it. So that was why I, I really – I don't have a, a clear recommendation about this. I did find as well a study actually about fasting and marijuana. It wasn't about how marijuana affected fasting, but whether fasting affected marijuana. I think I saw that one too. What was that one about? Yeah, so that one was called Effects of Food Deprivation on Responses to Marijuana and Humans. And they basically looked at a 24-hour fast on marijuana use to see how it would affect the marijuana effects. And they didn't see really any difference. Yeah, they basically found no difference on subjective effects or memory performance or anything like that. So, I mean, but that's that's the opposite in a way because the, the questions are asking if marijuana affects the fast, but this was looking at if fasting affected marijuana. Right. And... There wasn't any difference. So it is a very complicated subject. My, my personal takeaway from it all was that basically it, it seems like marijuana is pretty good for insulin sensitivity and can actually be linked to, well, we, we, we're seeing both things. We're seeing that it's linked to a lower BMI, but then we're also seeing that it's linked to more, more visceral fat, so it's hard to say. It really is hard to say, you know, what, what caused the one versus the other, right? Exactly. And, I mean, but it does make a lot of people hungry. So that is something, I think that's the main thing to keep in mind, is that 
if it's making you way starving and making you make bad food choices or overeat more than you're wanting to, then that's obviously something to keep in mind. But so beyond that, though, yeah, I think this would just be something you'd have to experiment with on a case by case basis if you live in a state where it's legal. <laughs> like like these two ladies who asked the question. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I will not be experimenting to answer this question. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Jen, on the the ADHD medication? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. See, that's that's a tricky one um, because I know that if you're taking it as a prescription because you need to focus, you know, you don't want to stop taking it because it's a medication. You need it. It's helping you with your condition. Um, I am worried about long time use of specific appetite suppressants though just because I mean I had the my own history with with diet pills which work in an appetite suppressing way um and I think they actually may have a similar mechanism in the brain as as some of these ADHD drugs do so um I would not you know swear on a stack of bibles that that is true but I feel like they may so Anytime you you are suppressing appetite and then you're trying to stimulate it again, you you get out of touch with your own satiety hormones. So um, I don't know the answer to that either. I would just say, obviously, keep taking it as prescribed by your doctor. Or if it helps you, then really that's that's the most important thing. You have to balance out the the risks versus the benefits. And so whenever I would make a decision, I would say, are the benefits outweighing the possible risks? And then do what works the best for you and your unique situation. Yeah, I'm I'm on the same page with you. A lot of those ADD and ADHD medicines, they do work um, in a way similar to, they're not straight up amphetamines, yeah. but they work similar to that. So yeah, the are, one I took was not an amphetamine. Like, like it was fentermine was the one I took, and I, it's not technically an amphetamine. I mean, an amphetamine. I don't believe because I don't think they prescribe those anymore, do they? Well, Adderall is that an amphetamine? I mean, for diet. I mean, they don't prescribe amphetamine diet. Oh, pills. I'm talking about for um. No, I'm talking about for, okay for ADHD. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, a lot of those medications are very stimulating and are upregulating. The the sympathetic nervous system, which is a reason that they can really slash through appetite and also increase fat burning <laughs> in a way. And that's why they are often, I think, abused, unfortunately. So when it comes to using them during fasting, I mean, they, in a, I mean, in a way they might be supporting the fast, but then I think what I agree with what Jen said about we don't, we don't want to become reliant on these substances, especially when it comes to fat burning, appetite control, and all of those things. So I can't really recommend them for fasting. Definitely not. Like we wouldn't recommend that you start taking it just because of the appetite suppressant qualities. No, this is for everyone out there who's like, ooh, maybe that would help me. No. <laughs> but if you're prescribed it for ADHD, that's a totally different situation. We actually, here's a little side note for me as a teacher. Um, the kids who take ADHD medication will typically lose a whole lot of weight, and that's that's a big risk, you know, that they they have. They'll get really, really thin, and their you know doctors have to watch them to make sure they're eating. I do remember that one of my best friend growing up in middle school, she started she um, was prescribed one of them, and she lost so much weight, and it was just because she had no appetite to eat. Right. And I did find another study 
not about the medication per se, but it, it was about ADHD and how it works in the brain. And just long story short, they concluded that it might relate to insulin levels, which I thought was interesting. They, they said it might have an insulin-dependent component and um, that diabetes may negatively affect brain function. And then that might be a way that these um, stimulant-type drugs are addressing the condition. So I thought that was pretty interesting. That is interesting. I had not heard that before. Yeah, it was an article from Vanderbilt University, but the the title was Insulin's Brain Impacts Links Drugs and Diabetes. So it was a pretty interesting article. So for listeners, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 65, we'll definitely put links to all of these studies because I imagine you a lot of listeners might want to look these up themselves because it is a very complicated topic and very fascinating when you really get into the literature. So we definitely encourage listeners to do their research and um, draw their own conclusions and do what they feel comfortable with. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to end it. You've got to got to figure it out and like we said outweigh see if the benefits outweigh the risks and balance it out in a way that works for you legally. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, so Olivia's second question. Mel mentioned one time when talking about her paleo diet that legumes are considered anti-nutrients. And then the conversation just continued. Can you elaborate on what an- on what anti-nutrients are? Are legumes the only ones? Then we have another question also related to this, and it comes from Kelly, and the subject and the subject is beans and inflammation. And Kelly says, "Hi, ladies. I've been on a health journey that led me to you both. I love listening to you, and I'm learning so much. One thing that confuses me is legumes. I read the Blue Zone book a couple of years ago and thought I would start incorporating more beans." And it completely messed up my health. I relate that time to so many inflammation problems, joint pain, gut issues, depression, and so much more. Desperate to feel better, I cut out sugar and flour and unknowingly doing IF almost a year ago. Okay. I've lost 50 pounds and feel so much better. Melanie, I feel like I can relate to you and your eating style. Whereas Jen can eat whatever she wants, (laughs) which I could, but I can't. My question is... Do other people have inflammation markers with beans? I thought they were linked to longevity, but I felt like it was killing me. I'm not sure why. Thank you for all you both do. All right. So I know Jen probably has a lot to say about this and me I too. I do. And we're not going to agree. We're going to, I'm going to go ahead and say. I think we are going to agree in a way. I think all right. I, here we go. Well, let's just go see. Ahead. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to go back to the first part that Olivia asked about anti-nutrients. And so that's a category of foods. Um, that are in plant foods, and, and it sounds terrible, right? Anti-nutrients, you don't want that. What's <laughs> right? But the anti-nutrients are found in um, grains. They're found in legumes. They're found in things like wheat and beans. Um, and they're in foods that we've traditionally been eating, depending on who you ask, for generations and generations and thousands of years. Um, so these are foods that people just ate and didn't worry about. These are our plant foods. They're fa- also found in things like nuts and seeds. And one example of one of these, quote, anti-nutrients is something called phytates. Okay, and I'm going to just delve into that specific one. Phytates are considered an anti-nutrient because it binds to minerals. It might bind to calcium, iron, potassium, magnesium, manganese, zinc, etc. And so the thought is, hmm, we don't want to take anything that's binding, you know, to these minerals that we need, but 
when you look at it even further, it does some good things in our bodies too. It has, it's an antioxidant. It reduces inflammation. It stimulates autophagy, believe it or not. Helps with blood glucose control. Binds to heavy metals that we don't want. So this is one of those situations. If you start reading on anti-nutrients, you're going to find 180 views out there. There's one train of thought that we want to avoid them completely. And there's another train of thought that they are the absolute best things you could be eating in your diet because of the foods that they are found in. Not necessarily that, you know, we're looking specifically for, quote, anti-nutrients, but that they're found in foods that are linked to longevity. Just like Kelly mentioned from the Blue Zones, these are all foods that are linked to longevity and health in the Blue Zones. So how can they be bad for you and good for you at the same time? So one thing that... I always want to bring us back to is we run a risk when we look at a substance found in food, one particular thing, and think that is the only thing in that food that that our bodies are using. For example, when you eat any vegetable that you eat, there are thousands of compounds in that vegetable, that fight, that thousands of phytonutrients that are in there. And we may say, okay, well, we know this one does this and this one does that and this one is good and this one is bad. But really, these thousands of different chemicals don't work in isolation. They work, you know, synergistically within the body. They do different things. You know, we think, well, this one has to be bad. But really, Maybe it's it's actually very necessary and something that we don't yet understand about how the body works. So when we isolate these compounds in the lab, we may be missing the point of what's actually happening in the body in a way that, that we don't understand yet. So very complicated subject because, like I said, you could find total 180 views on this topic. Another thing to know is that some of these, quote, anti-nutrients like the grains, the legumes – when we process them in ways that are traditional, such as cooking, soaking, fermenting, sprouting, that sort of thing, it changes the way that they work in the body. So, um, you know, like sprouted bread is very different in the body than a, a more traditional type of bread that you're used to. So, you know, some cultures figured out, hey, if I ferment this, it works better in my body. So if we go back to the traditional ways of preparing things, we have less to worry about. Um I want to really quickly hit on beans particularly that Kelly mentioned and about how they, they did not work well for her and made her gut not feel well. Well, actually, if your gut is not in a good state, some of these foods are not going to work well for you. If your gut lining is compromised, if your gut is unhealthy, then you can try these foods and it, it just it really upsets your system. So, yeah, in a healthy body that everything's working well, your gut lining is in good shape, you should be able to tolerate these foods well. But a lot of people don't. And so if, if you find that they're causing inflammation in your body, you're probably right. They probably are. That doesn't mean that they are universally going to cause inflammation. And that's that's the, the, um, the danger we fall into is assuming that something that is a problem for one person is a problem for everybody. I actually have one of my very favorite articles um, – my, one of my favorite studies is called Legumes, the Most Important Dietary Predictor of Survival in Older People of Different Ethnicities. They um, they looked at elderly people from all over the world and found that the number one food linked to longevity in, in these older people was legumes all over the world. So clearly, it's not, you know, some terrible food, 
But also, I bet these people have been eating them all their lives. Their gut was adapted to them. It worked well for them. You know, I think of my own grandmother and certain foods. She said, oh, I like that food, but it doesn't like me. She naturally avoided foods that didn't work for her body. You know, and, and I think that's the key. If you have identified that something doesn't work well for you, then clearly you need to avoid it. Now, that doesn't mean you can't heal your body. We talked about that in the podcast with Dr. Walter Longo. He talked about how, yes, you can heal your body and tolerate things you didn't used to be able to tolerate once once your gut is healed. So just because something doesn't work for you now doesn't mean it never will. So long answer here, but I wouldn't be afraid of something just because it's called anti-nutrients and it sounds really scary because there are many beneficial um, qualities in these in these foods that people have been eating for a long time. But pay attention to your body and see how you feel. And, and if they're not working well for you, leave them out. Maybe one day you can reintroduce them. All right, I just said a lot of things. <laughs> All right, what do you have to say, Melanie? First of all, thank you, Kelly, so much for your question. And Jen said a lot of really great things in there. Yeah, so basically plant anti-nutrients, they're found really in all plants. Yeah. And the reason for them is because plants, do they lack the ability to run away from predators. So animals, for example, when they're threatened with being eaten, they run away. Plants, unfortunately, they can't run away unless, and if they are running away from you, then that's interesting. <laughs> um, please let me know. <laughs> um, so basically what they do is they create these compounds and these compounds are, they serve as a protective mechanism by being basically poisons or toxins to things that would eat them. And ironically enough, a lot of these compounds are reasons that a lot of these plants have health benefits because in small amounts, these compounds create a hermetic effect basically in the body where we take in a small bit of them, they um, stress us out and they create a good reaction in the long run. They create a good response in the long run. So that's what antinutrients are. So yes, they are technically in all foods and all plants. So why are we demonizing antinutrients in beans and grains and not in, say, spinach, <laughs> for example? So there are some reasons for that. I just wanted to go into it. So when it comes to legumes, there are a few main compounds prevalent in them that are problematic. So Jen talked about phytic acid and phytates. And yes, those do bind to nutrients. Um, I want to clarify, they don't bind to nutrients in your body. So you don't have to worry about them leaching nutrients from your body. They just basically inactivate the nutrients within the actual meal that you're having. That said, if you prepare legumes certain ways, which I'll go into in a little bit, um, you can inactivate some of that phytic acid. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Legumes are also really pretty high in something called lectins. And so lectins are some of those plant anti-nutrients, and they basically attach to sugary things as a way to ward them off, like fungus and yeast and bacteria and things like that. And so when we take them in, they can actually injure our gut because our gut is coated in cells, which are basically they can attach to our gut and they can create something called leaky gut, which is where food is going to leak into your system and, um, it can create GI distress, it can create inflammation, allergies, things like that. That said, yes, lectins can be inactivated with properly preparing legumes, um, but that is something to keep in mind. Yeah, don't eat raw beans. <laughs> Not recommended by anybody, yeah. And then some other things, studies have found that the 
that particularly legumes, they can agglutinate the blood, um, which basically, basically means make the blood cells clump together. They also include something called trypsin inhibitors, which can inhibit protein absorption. But then, like we said, these antinutrients are also in things that, quote, like, like paleo people will eat, like nuts and seeds. So why is it a problem when it comes to legumes and not these other things? And I think what it really goes back to is that legumes often form the foundation of diet um, compared to nuts and seeds. So if you're eating a primarily legume-based diet, especially if you're not properly preparing them, they can definitely be a, a like a big source of inflammation and not work for you. Whereas things like nuts and seeds, people tend to eat in smaller amounts and they're not typically eating a whole meal based around that. The main thing I disagree with here is, is it's a tiny little little premise. Not that the beans cause the problem, but if you have a problem, then the beans could could exacerbate them. So I just, I don't think that a healthy gut is like destroyed by beans, but I think an unhealthy gut, you're going to have issues with many things. I did want to speak briefly to that because that is where I disagree just a little bit. I just think that we're all unique, we're all individual, and it's not always necessarily a marker of health whether or not you can tolerate legumes. I think for some people, their body is not made for legumes and it's not going to tolerate legumes and it doesn't necessarily mean they're not healthy. Like you said, your grandmother, she said legumes didn't agree with no, her. No, it wasn't legumes. I can't remember what it was. I think it was broccoli. And I think she might not have liked broccoli, but she always claimed that broccoli did not work well for her. It didn't agree with her. Yeah. <laughs> I, could go, I could go into a whole tangent about the different things in broccoli and why that might be. Um, but for example, I mean, do you consider your grandmother healthy? That's hard to say. I mean, yeah, I was a little girl. Looking, but she probably was not very healthy, actually. But this, I was a little girl, and I just remember having that conversation. I mean, she had Parkinson's. I mean, no, I mean, I, I don't know that I would consider her healthy because that was not a question I ever asked myself about my grandmother when I was, you know? Like, I, I never thought of her as healthy or not healthy. As she got older, she was not healthy. Well, I guess my point is that different people tolerate different things. So oh, that's there are true. A lot of- so there are a lot of health, like, quote, healthy people, for example, that might be following a high legume-based diet. And these people might say, oh, if I eat meat, I can't digest it and I get inflamed and I don't feel good. But we wouldn't say that they were unhealthy and that's the reason. We would just say that they can't tolerate it. So I think the flip side should be the case as well, uh, that there could be a healthy person who fall, who gets their protein, you know, mainly from meat. And then they feel that when they eat legumes, they don't tolerate it. it. doesn't necessarily mean they're unhealthy. It just means that their personal gut microbiome, their personal body's reaction to foods, legumes are not going to work for them. Well, and that's I an interesting distinction. I get, I get your point to that. And like same with dairy, you know? So there, well, might no, be yeah. a, there might be a healthy person who eats a high dairy diet and they feel really good on it. But then there might be another, quote, healthy person, doesn't eat dairy, but then they say, when they eat dairy, they don't feel good, but we're not, I mean, but I wouldn't say, oh, it's because, you know, they're not healthy enough, so they can't tolerate the dairy, you know? So I think it, I don't really think it, it could, it could be because a person's gut is well whacked up. Oh, trust me. I know, I know all about that. Um, but I just think people's microbiomes are different. And I think that when it comes to food choices in general, Compared to other foods, legumes tend to be more problematic compared to other foods. And a lot of people um, might not tolerate them. 
And the reason for that could be because they're unhealthy, could be a lot of other well, things. Well, I guess when we're talking in the, the realm of leaky gut, that is an unhealthy gut. That's what I was referring to. Clearly, you know, I know that not everyone handles dairy um, well, obviously, and many foods. We don't all handle the same way based on many factors. But I do think that leaky gut is not a healthy state for our guts to be in. That said, like grains, for example, are going can create leaky gut in somebody who didn't previously have it. And it's not because their body was unhealthy and so they aren't able to tolerate grains and that's why it encouraged leaky gut. It could be because that person was very healthy. Grains encouraged leaky gut. Taking in grains created leaky gut rather than... And that that's, I think, the crux of that, that one little piece of where we disagree. So that we'll just have to agree to disagree on that one. Which is fine. <laughs> A reason I think grains, though, are way worse <laughs> than legumes, for example. Whereas legumes, the anti-nutrients can be mostly inactivated by properly preparing them. G- grains can, do contain a lot of compounds that are not inactivated by cooking. So this includes gluten, gliadin, things like that. So grains are especially our modern version of flour <laughs> in the U.S. has been even hybridized to contain even more anti-nutrients, more gluten, because it helps serve as a natural pesticide for the plant. So modern flour, especially in modern grains, I honestly can't, I can't recommend anybody ever eat them, especially when we look at the timeline of humans and we see that so many degenerative diseases all started right when we started, um, became a Neolithic society and started using grains as a source of fuel. But for you, Kelly, specifically, you talked about having joint pain, gut issues, depression, so much more with legumes. So beans and legumes are super duper high in something called FODMAPs. And FODMAPs are basically compounds in foods that in, I'm not, I don't even want to use the word healthy, (laughs) but in a, um, in a typically normal functioning body, the way it works is these these compounds are resistant to digestion, and so they make their way down into, through our small intestine and into our large intestine where they feed beneficial gut bacteria, and that's how the system works, and it's uh, it can work pretty well. That said, a lot of people, based on their own gut microbiome, or their especially today with all of our antibiotic use and C-section bursts and things like that. Our gut microbiomes are a bit out of whack. And so eating these FODMAPs can create bloating, can create fermentation, inflammation. And so that is probably a reason that legumes are a problem for you personally. Um, So Kelly, I definitely suggest if you haven't already that you do look into the, the low FODMAP diet because it might help you be able to pinpoint legumes than other foods that might be a problem for you. And then one very last thought I just wanted to say was I do think proper preparation is key. And we typically today don't do that as much. So traditional cultures eating these high legume-based diets, they would you know soak them and ferment them and sprout them and all the things. And while people do do that now, especially with the, the growing trend of organic and soaking and sprouting and everything, people are doing it a little bit more, but we, we just... We don't quite as much. So I think that's a reason they can definitely be a problem today. Ways that you can help inactivate compounds in legumes. You can soak them for 12 to 24 hours. You can um, 
Use moist heat like boiling or steaming. You can cook at high temperatures and that might help. And I do have a whole section on this. So if you check out my book called What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, I have a whole section on legumes and other foods. And it talks about all of these, all of these things, about why they might be problematic for you, why they might not. So for example, in my book, I don't have legumes on the no list. I don't say don't eat them. I have them on the maybe list. And then I have basically everything I just said. Um, so it's really a matter of finding what works for you personally. Yeah. We're not ever going to agree on grains. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, and if anybody would like to, to read more about grains being part of healthy diets, of course, I talk about this in Feast Without Fear, but also read about the blue zones, read some of the gut microbiome books that I recommend in the back of Feast Without Fear. And, um, you know, I, I think grains are fabulous for our health. So I don't want to, we could talk about this probably for hours and hours and hours. So the last, the last thing I want to encourage is for people to worry about foods like grains and legumes. I mean, yeah, I well, I just, I honestly think like, not legumes, but I honestly think grains are a reason we have so many health problems today. And, and I do not. <laughs> I think that people today do have a lot of problems with grains. But again, like I said earlier, I think that that says more about our unhealthy state than it says about grains themselves. And so I know that you took some... Um, you didn't like the words that I used with that, but I think that our bodies are designed to, to eat these foods. And we, we are born, like you said, we're born now differently with cesarean sections. There are a lot of things going on, but um, I don't think that we're meant to be quite so fragile when it comes to foods from nature. Are we? Yes. We, we do tend to be nowadays. Well, how do you feel about the fact that all these diseases and degenerative problems and stuff did correlate? did line up when we started using grains as a foundational food I mean, we're processing things so much differently now, too, though. You know, when people were using grains out there on the plains, they were not um, refining them to the point that they were super-duper white and powdery. You know, that that makes a difference, too, where, you know, whether you're using all the parts of it or not. There's, It's a very complicated issue, and I think that the – you know, a lot of the, you, you lay a graph, like I saw this, I can't remember what it was exactly or what website it was on, but it was like graphs of things that like people could lay on top of other graphs of things and they looked like they correlated perfectly, but they were like two unrelated things, like people who have cats and people who buy AIM toothpaste or something, whatever. And it, they met lined up, but they looked like they were related, but they're really not. So some of these things, we just have to, you know, there's so many factors going on at, at any time. It's hard to say, oh, it's the grain. It's it's the grain that's causing the problem. You know, I, I don't I don't buy that argument. Well I will say for listeners, what I really encourage you to do, either way, regardless of how you feel, if you are experiencing uh, digestive digestive issues, inflammation, problems like this surrounding food and you don't know what it is, and you can tell me if you agree with this, Jen, a wise thing that you can try is is doing a sort of elimination autoimmune type protocol where you're going to be consuming the foods that people typically agree across the board are pretty are Are not inflammatory inflammatory for most people and I talk about that a lot in my book so you can try those foods and then what you can do is you can bring back in these other foods and see how you react so no we we totally agree on that because if your body is not tolerating something like let's say you have leaky gut and you can't tolerate legumes and grains I mean that's truth. You can't <laughs> because your your gut does not tolerate them. So I just don't agree that it's 
how we're all supposed to be. Like nobody should eat grains. I think a lot of people would not have leaky gut and then bring in grains and might create leaky gut. And it's I, I think that it's it's more of the other other things going on in our society than than the grains. Like if you're eating traditional grains and you're eating the way you know your great 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 grandparents ate, then I think you're probably not going to have all these. I think a lot of these issues are modern issues. And when you watch Michael Pollan's, I talked about this recently. Michael Pollan's cooked series on Netflix. The episode he has on bread is is fascinating, and it's where he's talking to a bread. Um, baker who says people in other countries don't have the problems that we have in America. So I do think that there may be issues related to the the grains that we have in America versus grains in other parts of the world that are, are grown organically and are not, you know, the hybrids. So I'll give you that one. But I, I don't think that it's the problem with grains. I think it's more of the problem of, of how we're growing them here and how we are modifying them, and also how, maybe what we're spraying on them. All those things work together. Alrighty, so Olivia did have two more questions, but we are running a little bit short on time, so I think we'll have to wrap those up next week, if that if that works for you, Jen. Yep, I think that's a, a great idea. Alrighty, and I will say, despite our arguments, I do really enjoy our conversations. Me too. And it's and it's pretty, it's pretty crazy that out of everything, I mean, there's very few things that we, you know, disagree on. So I think it's good we can agree to disagree. And I really think, I think the lens that we see it through is just that you're, you have a compromised gut. And so you're more suspicious of things that, and how they may affect the gut. Whereas for me, I, I don't. So I'm. Like, <laughs> I, I will say I, uh, when I originally wrote the book, I, I did not have like the gut problems. So that I have been thinking that before that so what led you to paleo I'm curious what led you to paleo if you had no gut problems so I was doing intermittent fasting I was doing low carb and that really helps for weight loss and that really helps for for energy levels and but that's when I was just in the crazy I, I just became obsessed with the science of not of food but really the science of fat burning and then you just naturally come across paleo because it really overlines it really overlaps with the keto world the fasting world so it just came up and i was like oh this i'll try this this will be the next thing that i'll try and the the initial effects i saw were just so amazing as far as like skin quality and things like headaches and things like that so i didn't have any gut issues um, but i did have other things that i didn't realize was related to food that when I did adopt a more whole foods approach and cut out inflammatory compounds, I really saw a difference. All the gut issues, they really started when I got food poisoning and then it started after that. <laughs> so then it's been a struggle. Well, I think that's interesting. That is interesting. Um, and of course, the devil's advocate would say, could the elimination of those things have caused you to become intolerant to more things? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I could go into a whole conversation about that, so yeah. I won't. Because okay. we'll probably be talking for like forever. Yeah. We'll have to table that one. Yeah. Okay. Devil's advocate there. You know I'll see if we have a question about that. About if you never stop eating all things, maybe you never have a problem with the things. I don't know. That's just something to keep in mind. <laughs> if a listener would like to write in that question eloquently, <laughs> we can, we can, we'll address it. <laughs> 
Um, but then the whole episode will probably just be that. All righty. So a few things for listeners before we go. So if you would like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can do that two ways. You can email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to our website, ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions there. A few other things. Uh, like I said at the beginning, if you go to our Instagram, ifpodcast, you will see that ancestral supplements picture. Please comment your favorite intermittent fasting benefit, and you can possibly win their organ complex. And you can also go to our website, ifpodcast.com slash episode 65 and ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. And there we will have a link to ancestral supplements and use that link, use the code IFAST and you will get 15% off your order, which is super awesome. So definitely check that out. You can also help support us on Patreon. It can really help make this podcast possible. So that is patreon.com slash ifpodcast. That's basically where you can just pledge a small amount, even if it's just like a dollar a month. That can really, really help. You can also check out our books if you'd like more information on everything that we talked about. Jen has Delay, Don't Deny, and Feast Without Fear. I have What When Wine. Those are available on Amazon. And if you do have a moment to write a brief review of those books, that's also super helpful. We really, really appreciate that. Speaking of, you can also write a review on iTunes. And in iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcasts, and then you'll get the episodes downloaded every week. You won't even have to do anything. And then if you would like to be further reminded or get the notes about our podcasts, you can also get email updates. And so that's on the main page of our website, ifpodcast.com. All right. So many things. I think that's all the things. Yeah. <laughs> and like we said, we will get to the rest of those questions next week. And we look forward to answering the rest of Olivia's questions. Yeah. So like I always say, if we have one listener next episode, it will be Olivia. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember... The opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.